Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and if you've arrived here, there must be a reason. I'm guessing you're curious to learn more about improving your wellbeing alongside ADHD, or maybe looking for some advice or guidance to feel healthier and calmer. So, why start this podcast? I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and I discovered my own ADHD alongside one of my daughters at the age of 40. And now, after supporting many other women just like me, and probably you, I feel there's a need for more emphasis on well-being and lifestyle help for women with ADHD. And through the podcast, I want to offer you new insights and perspectives to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and balanced life. So wherever you are on your ADHD journey, my aim is to support you in finding the awareness and the most aligned tools to enhance your well-being so you can make the most intentional mindset and lifestyle choices moving forwards. Ready to get started? Here's the episode. Today is the first recording of my brand new podcast, the ADHD Wellbeing, Women's Wellbeing Podcast. You see, I can't even remember the name of my own podcast. And I'm so excited that we have as a first guest, a boundary expert, Nancy Levin, and she's a master coach. She's a podcast host, and she's a best-selling author of several books, fantastic books. She's formerly the event director at Hay House, the iconic Hay House. Oh my goodness. Well, I'd love to talk to you about that separately. <laughs> And she's also the founder of the Levin Life Coach Academy, which offers in-depth coaching, training and certification programs designed to support students to make themselves a priority by setting boundaries that stick. And that is why I wanted you on the podcast today, Nancy. Welcome. Thank you. I am so happy to be here with you and I am honored to be your first guest. Yes. And I just said to you before, I was like, you are going to be setting the bar really high because the women and the guests that I've got coming on this podcast have got so many amazing resources and tools and expertise to offer. And boundaries for me, I have to say, is one of the biggest things I've learned in my own ADHD journey. And it's something Mm -hmm. that I talk to my own clients about all the time. For many reasons, women who have been diagnosed with ADHD or maybe suspect they've got ADHD have problems with boundaries. And we like to give a lot. We are people pleasers. We don't like to offend people. We are always on the cusp of burnout. I know this, a lot of women, you know, without ADHD can probably resonate with this, but especially for us, it feels like boundaries just are very difficult to keep. And I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I know it has a lot to do with self-worth and self-esteem. And there's so much to explore around here, but I, I really want to be able to offer the listeners an understanding of even what boundaries are. I know that we're sort of keeping it quite simple, but how would you explain to someone who doesn't even understand what a boundary is? How would you would you sort of start from there? I define my boundaries as the limits that I set for myself around what I will not do, will or will not do, will or will not accept, and will or will not tolerate. So the most important thing here to remember is that my boundaries are between me and me, first and foremost. And one of the biggest myths I hear is 
so-and-so crossed my boundaries. And the truth of the matter is that if my boundaries are being crossed, I'm the one crossing them. And that's a really different way to approach the concept of boundary setting because it's up to me to set the boundary and it's up to me to hold the boundary. So in other words, it's not up to anyone else out there to honor or respect or uphold or maintain my boundary. It's up to me. So a boundary is not wanting someone else to change. A boundary is not expecting anyone to do anything different. So a boundary isn't telling someone else what they can or cannot do. A boundary is simply me getting clear on what's okay and not okay for me and how I am going to take care of myself in the process. Yeah, that is beautifully explained. It kept coming back to me, this notion of self-worth, because you have to have self-worth to be able to recognize that what we want is important. That's right. And very typically as women, ADHD or not, we put ourselves right at the bottom of the pecking order. And it's it's relearning, isn't it? Conditioning, it's relearning what we've seen on parents, our mothers, grandmothers, it's so many different things. And the word should, yeah, we should be doing this. We should be a good mother, a good daughter, sister, all these things. And actually, if you're on the cusp of exhaustion and burnout the whole time, boundaries couldn't be more important. But it feels so scary, doesn't it, to put them in place. I constantly think I'm going to offend them. And, you know, if you're a people pleaser, you constantly worried what people are going to think about you and judgment and as much as I would, and I have got better with my boundaries, it's scary at the beginning, isn't it? Yes. So here's the thing. None of us were raised learning how to set boundaries. So then this whole idea of crafting a life on our own terms feels very foreign, especially if we identify as people pleasers, peacekeepers, conflict avoiders, not rock the boaters, <laughs> you know, especially if we are other referenced, taking everyone else into account first, you know, checking someone else's temperature before we know our own. And so the first part of even being able to set a boundary is to know what our limits are. And for that, we really need to take the attention off of everything outside of us and bring the attention inward. So the first step is noticing, am I caught up in what do they think? What do they want? What do they need? What do they feel? If I'm really overly caught up in the external, I want to redirect that energy and attention within. What do I think? What do I want? What do I feel? What do I need? And that is a place to begin. Going back to that, especially for me, there's a lot of noise going on in my head. There's a lot of thinking. There's what I call lots of inner restlessness. So sometimes there's so much noise going on. It's hard to decipher what mm -hmm. it is I need until we make choices like going for walks, going journaling, meditation, mindfulness, just to give ourselves a bit of quiet to actually recognize what it is that we want. But sometimes 
we've got past that point. We've given too much. We've extended ourselves. And this is still me. I still know I do it. I'm definitely work in progress because what will happen is I'll commit to lots of different family and friends. And yes, of course, I've got four kids. They all want sleepovers with different friends and make dinner on a Friday and all these things. And then I'm like, comes to Sunday and I'm good for nothing. I'm snapping. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not nice to be around. And I feel like, yeah, my boundaries definitely got skewed, but I'm thinking about everyone else. Where does that leave you when you feel that people do depend on you? So a couple of things I want to say here. One is, believe it or not, boundaries prevent burnout. So having healthy boundaries in place will actually energize and resource you instead of drain you. And also, you know, so you mentioned that by Sunday, you're good for nothing, you're snippy, you're, you know, you're snapping. Resentment rising is a number one telltale sign that boundaries need to be put into place. So one thing I want to name here is that most of us have a relationship to boundaries where we think that they are restrictive or depriving or constrictive. And I really want to invite you and everyone listening to shift into the understanding that boundaries are actually expansive. So boundaries are the way that we are able to carefully choose and consciously curate the content of our own lives. So in that way, we are crafting the life that we want to live from what's true for us instead of packaging ourselves to be digestible to everyone else. Especially if you've got kids and young kids who are dependent on you, that's the nature of the beast, right? But it doesn't mean that it's an either or. So it doesn't mean that either you take good care of yourself or you take good care of your kids. And this is probably the number one thing that I work with moms around because I want to support you in giving yourself permission to consider your own needs at least as much as you are considering the needs of others, just at least as much. If we can start there as a baseline, then are you willing to consider your own needs even more than you're considering the needs of everyone else? And then the real boundary ninja move is, are you willing to give yourself permission to consider your needs first before you consider the needs of others? Now, nowhere in here did I say, don't consider the needs of others, but we're so wired for either or. And this is a both and, and you are not going to be as effective and you're not going to be as loving to the people around you if you are putting yourself at the bottom of the barrel, if you're even in the barrel at all. I started sort of talking about this metaphor that then clients would say, oh no, that's not a metaphor. That's my reality. We set the table in the dining room with the fine lace cloth and the china, and the silver, and the crystal, and the big juicy steak, or the big juicy tofu, and we make sure everyone has what they need. 
And then we stand in the kitchen in the dark over the sink, eating the scraps and crumbs. And we think that's okay. We think that there's some badge of honor that we will receive for self-sacrifice. And I'm here to say that is BS. Yeah. I mean, that analogy immediately came to mind. I've got a, a relative who has done that, exactly that. And there is a level of sort of feeling a little bit like a martyr. And I think, I don't know how she would get out of that now. I don't know. And I've watched that and I've seen it and I've thought, I'm not, I don't want to be like that. I, I want to be the person that is, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to enjoy it. And I've learned now what I can, what my limits are. I really have. And from someone that gets easily overwhelmed, you know, it's funny. I've got four kids. I've got a really busy house. I'm working. I put a huge amount on my plate. You know, I'm just a typical overachiever trying to yep. do everything. I love being yep. busy and creative and ambitious and all of that. But I, I can, it's, it's like a switch. And all of a sudden it's like overwhelm. I've taken on too much. What am I going to do? How am I going to get rid of things? And so now it's almost like I take a few steps ahead and I and I say, I try not to say yes immediately. I know that's one of your tricks, isn't <laughs> yes. it? Yes. And, and that's a new, that's a relatively new one. And that has Good. been amazing. Good. Because I would typically just go, yeah, of course I'll do that. Mm-hmm. So first of all, that overwhelm. That overwhelm can be alleviated by taking action so that we're not stuck in our head, so that we're not frozen in time, but that we take a micro action in any direction. That's going to support us in actually stopping the overwhelm and feeling some forward movement. And in terms of saying yes, this is so huge for so many. And You know, I talk often about the knee-jerk yes. A direct request comes in and we go into the knee-jerk yes. And the knee-jerk yes comes from a place of obligation or a feeling responsible. A knee-jerk yes comes from not wanting anyone else to be angry or disappointed. A knee-jerk yes comes from wanting to be the hero, the rescuer, the savior. And In my book, any yes that we give needs to be rooted in desire. So if it's not rooted in desire, it's a no. So I will often suggest to my clients, if a direct request comes in and you're ready to say no, say no. If you're not ready to say no, simply say, I'll get back to you tomorrow. We it's have so empowering to, that, isn't it? It is. We have to build in the pause and we have to get out of the mindset that someone else's urgency is ours. So we need to, we need time and we really need the pause to dissolve the habit of the knee jerk. Yes. So that we are really considering what works for us because as you just said, we all know what it's like to put something on the calendar and then look at it and dread it and think, how do I get out of this? And we just said yes two minutes ago. So all of that can get fixed, so to speak, by really checking in with, is this really a yes for me? What's driving my yes? I think to have that constant reminder 
and like you say, I'm. I think it is probably one of those things that's a bit of a muscle and the more you practice it, it the easier it, it gets. Yeah. And just to have that constant like, okay, that check-in before you say yes, that I can pause and their urgency isn't our urgency. Because I think we get so skewed in everyone, especially with emails or please get back to me at ASAP or um, can you let me know because I'm on a, it's time sensitive, all these different ways that it's just kind of naturally plugged into our language that everything is just so fast paced now that our decisions are meant to be fast paced, aren't they? Which really loops into how we are managing the perception of others. So what happens is, I mean, I literally, when I was in my job at Hay House that you mentioned, I was like famous for replying to an email before the other person even hit send. I mean, I was that fast, you know? And part of that was I wanted other people to see me a certain way. And being able to dismantle certain aspects of that perception has been really essential for me. So we have to also look at, you know, what is the persona I'm putting forward? I was really putting this persona forward of perfectionism, of, you know, queen of the impossible. I can do anything. And again, gave people very specific lenses to see me through because I wanted to be seen a certain way. And yet, I wasn't living inside of myself. I wasn't inhabiting my own life in that regard. And so that's really what starts to happen is when we're so concerned with the external, you know, I was chasing all the gold stars, all the external validation. And when we're chasing the gold stars, no gold stars will ever be enough because whatever we're seeking internally has to be resolved there, not externally. So, you know, so it really becomes an invitation to take ourselves into account in a new way. Yeah, I mean, I I really can resonate. And I know there's a lot of ADHD women who are chronic overachievers, perfectionists, like there's so many academics out there that are, have really debilitating ADHD, but they have suppressed it, they mask it. So on the outside, everything looks fine, but on the inside, they're crumbling. Their nervous system is shot to pieces. They are juggling everything and they're sort of just about to be on the brink of of something quite catastrophic, which often leads them to seeking medication and then maybe then finding out that, you know, their diagnosis. And what I know for me, and I've always known this, is that I've always needed a huge amount of downtime. So I'm... I love being busy, busy, busy. I get to a point I'm like, if I don't go and have a walk on my own, or I don't just kind of don't speak to anyone for a couple of hours, then, you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be bad. So I have had to build in those boundaries, whether it's looking at my calendar, I have buffers between meetings. I have buffers between if I meet a friend and going straight into a meeting. And these are all things that I've learned relatively recently because I thought it was normal to be on this like constant this juggernaut of of feeling frenzied and frazzled and overwhelmed. 
And part of it is also, what are you making that mean about you? If you're keeping yourself so busy, is that how you are defining your success? Are you determining your own worth and value by how busy you are, by how much you do, by how much you achieve, by how much you produce? And that is very common for those of us who have identified as overachievers and people pleasers and perfectionists. And a couple of things to remember, you know, one is that when we are fearing that external judgment, so we're doing things to not get judged, so to speak, and we're in that overcompensation, which is also something that I see in, in this conversation, What's happening is we're already judging ourselves, whether it's I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not whatever it is. You know, we're already judging ourselves because no judgment from the outside can stick to us unless we have the Velcro for it. So any judgment we're fearing from the outside already lives within us. And so we are capable of dissolving that internal judgment of getting in right relationship with ourselves. And once we do that, we lose concern for the outside in that regard. It really is an inside job, isn't it? It is an inside job the whole way. And then the other piece about the overcompensation, I, in my work, talk a lot about disowned qualities. So the qualities in ourselves that we don't want to be, that we don't want. And yet the truth is, we in every quality lives within us. So even if we look at ADHD as a quality that we don't want to be, let's say, or that we don't want to stay identified with, what happens is we go into overdrive to overcompensate for having ADHD. And the real key is to see how can I embrace the ADHD and the gifts it provides Absolutely. And it takes a bit of time to get to that headspace yeah. mm -hmm. because yeah. very often, especially if you've not been diagnosed until later on in life, and that's typically, you know, who I seem to be working with, a lot of women and mothers, you know, in the sort of 40s, who are 50s, who are finding out that the reason that they've had anxiety and overwhelm and insomnia and all the different things throughout their life, they've always resonated with being sort of highly sensitive and empath, that they have now got ADHD. And to them, that's got negative right. connotations right. of stigma because they may have been on the surface, they, you know, they could have looked fine, but underneath, it's that analogy of your head above water and everything's fine underneath you're like flailing like a like a duck that just right. can't doesn't know what you know how to manage life and organize and we've got to rely on people maybe it's partners or parents or we've had to delegate we've had to right. pay for huge amounts of assistance right. we've had to ask for help yeah mm -hmm. and in a way that's fantastic because so many of us should be asking for help and we should be delegating we can't do it all that's right but it also kind of makes you feel like, well, what kind of adult am I that I still have to, you know, get my husband to do this or my friend to do that or an assistant or a cleaner or all these different things where now I've made peace with it, but it took me a really long time to realize that I can't do everything and I don't need to do everything. Right. And to be able to be an acceptance of this is my reality. You know, this is what's true. And the more I fight it, the more I'm wearing myself out. 
And the more I'm willing to embrace it, the more I'm creating my own freedom. And, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, you've got four kids, they're pulling you in, a, in different directions, you know, your husband, you know, all these things. And you can show up for all of them best by showing up for yourself first. And it's really essential to have a self-connecting practice. So whether that's, as you mentioned, going for a walk or journaling or meditating or dancing or whatever it is, being able to take the time and space that you need without asking for permission. So that's the other thing is letting, you know, letting your family know I'm going to be in my bedroom or I'm going to be, you know, wherever I'm going to be in, in this room for 30 minutes and I'll come out when I'm ready. And obviously making sure if you have little tiny kids that, that they're, you know, that they're taken care of, but part of it is knowing that you are worthy and deserving of time and space for you. You're not just here on this earth to be, you know, I often think mothers think of themselves as like a giant breast for the world, you know, and it's not, that's not, that's not your purpose. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Equizin. I've always been a fan of protecting and supporting my own health with vitamins and supplements. And now as a busy mum of four kids, I try to help them with as much nutritional support as possible. And understanding ADHD more and more, I'm a firm believer that as vital as it is to build our physical health, we must also support our brain and emotional well-being as well. For that reason, I've been taking omega-3 and 6 supplements for many years, which have undoubtedly supported my mood regulation and emotional well-being. And I've now also been using Equisin for my own children for several years now too. Equisin are fatty acid specialists with a range of products to support brain function. And backed by clinical studies, Equisin supplements are a precise blend of omega-3, EPA and DHA, which contribute to the maintenance of normal brain function made from fish oil and omega-6 GLA from primrose oil. And like me, you may have fussy eaters in the house and as well as ones who just plain out refuse to eat fish. I've got a few of them. You'll know that fish is a main source of omega-3s. And so now that my kids take Equisin, I really do feel more relaxed knowing they're getting these essential fatty acids in capsule form that are so vital to brain health. Equisin's range of supplements, which are suitable for all members of the family, as well as being available for pregnancy and babies, contain a balanced formulation to really help get the natural benefits of fish oils without that fishy taste. And my two youngest are super fussy and take the strawberry flavoured chews every morning without any drama. So if you want to get a discount code for Equisin, just head over to the show notes of this episode or go to equisin.co.uk for more information about the range. And for UK-based listeners, the Equisin products are available at Boots, Holland & Barrett, Ocado, and on Amazon. So don't forget, head to equisin.co.uk for all the products, or head to the show notes of this episode, and you'll be able to find the discount code to get money off any Equisin products. I love all of that, and I'm three of my kids are 
girls and my mm-hmm. mission genuinely is to model to them yes that they they shouldn't be you know martyrs I don't want them yeah. to to feel like they should be doing things they can say no and yes. you know their health and their emotional well-being is of vital importance and actually a few weeks ago I went to um I stayed in a hotel on my own mm. And I organized, this is something I've been dreaming of over the pandemic. And I was like, I just want to go to a house, not with anyone, just myself. And then I organized, one of my other things that I love to do is cold water swimming. Um, I love swimming and freezing cold water. And yeah, it's it's lovely. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And so I, I knew someone that was organizing like a day retreat, not too far away from this lovely hotel that I'd sort of kept my eye on. And it all fitted in perfectly. So I left on a Sunday. I drove to the hotel. I checked in. I bought my iPad, laptop, magazines, books. I literally, I must have packed enough to do for about two weeks. (laughs) And I was like overwhelmed. I was like, I should do this. I need to catch up on work. It was almost like I'd kind of decamped to this hotel just to catch up on six months of work. Then I kind of, I ordered a glass of wine. Then I ordered some room service and then Adele came on TV and she was doing an audience thing and everything went by the wayside and I put a little thing on Instagram and I must have been bombarded with so many messages from friends or like people I know, what are you doing in a hotel on your own? How how did you get away with that? Right. Um, the, right. This like, and I was like, I've not like robbed a bank. Right. My children are safe. My husband is a very capable man that can look after children. He was happy for me. He wanted me to go. Of course. But look at that language. How did you get away with yeah, that? I mean, exactly. that's powerful. Yeah. 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 Oh, and I and I thought, I'm gonna wonderful. put this. <laughs> I, I'm gonna put this on Instagram because yes. I want people to know that it's not okay, like finances, it wasn't, you know, a crazy expensive hotel, but it was a nice hotel. It doesn't have to be like take yourself to a five-star hotel and buy loads of spa treatments. Like for me, room service, a glass of wine, and then a dip in a lake the next day was, it was like I'd been away for two weeks. I was, oh, And I sure. put all my work away and I didn't right. do anything. And, oh. um, and I just realized how easy it was. It was kind of, you know what, this is doable. And this is a nice, and the kids that. didn't even batten, you know, they didn't care. That, I didn't even think they noticed I was gone. I think they were quite happy <laughs> that the nagging mother that, that has been there the whole time was out the house, to be honest. So it kind of worked. And that made me realize, actually, it's just the narrative that we've been, you know, given. Exactly. Exactly. It's interesting. It, you remind me of uh, one of the women who is a mentor in my training program. She's gone through the program and has been certified. And now she's a mentor. She has four kids and a husband. And she often takes these solo getaways to just be able to be with her own thoughts. And the same thing from the outside, it's like, how do you get away with a husband and four kids? And she's made that a priority in her own life. And listen, I imagine if you can do it with four kids, other people can do it with fewer kids. Yeah. <laughs> or we get ourselves wrapped up in the story of I'm indispensable. They can't live without me. I'll come home and they won't have eaten or shot or bathed. You know, they'll just all be drooling and waiting for me to walk in the door. And it's not true. And we have to hold everyone else capable. Like you said, I have a very capable husband. We have to hold the other people in our lives capable. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because 
he doesn't want me to be in that place where I'm indispensable. Right. And, you know, once I'm out the house, it's I don't care what they're wearing. I, I don't care, right. that they're, you know, if they want to eat frozen <laughs> food in McDonald's, whatever, I don't care. I'm not there. And, I and know, right. the fact that the kids have seen that, because, you know, one day if they they become mothers, I want them to know that they, that's a good thing for them. Like, these are the things that you should be aspiring to. And it's not the 1950s anymore. So I was really happy. It was really fantastic. And I remember coming down to breakfast the next morning and on my own and I sat and had breakfast and I was like, oh, this is a bit weird. Like I'm sat in the breakfast and it's kind of like, you know, a couple's hotel. And actually what happened was I'd booked for two nights and I chickened out of the last night and I called my husband and I told my husband actually two days before I said, do you think you'll be able to come and meet me for the second night? And he got his mother, his my, my mother-in-law to come and she helped with the kids. And actually, so I had a night on my own and he came to meet me oh. and he needed it as well. Yeah. And, and so, you needed it together, I'm sure. Yeah. It's weird because I didn't feel like I deserved two nights on my own. I felt like I only deserved one night. I felt like two nights was maybe excessive. And then I was probably thinking about the judgment, you know, friends who are already kind of judging me for taking one night off. What would they say if I took two nights off? Right. So I want to, I want to address this because this really beautifully is, it's a beautiful segue into what I hear so often, you know, this, I don't deserve two nights. Taking two nights for myself would be selfish. This whole disowning of selfish, not wanting to identify with selfish. And what happens in that is we, we put selfless on a pedestal. And in selfless, we disappear. We vanish. So I like to talk about selfish, self-love, and self-care being three sisters whose job it is to support us in honoring ourselves. And what inevitably comes up here is a feeling of guilt. And I really invite you to look at guilt in this context of, I don't deserve two nights, or I feel guilty being away, or guilty because my friend's see me a certain way or aren't taking the time for themselves, you know? Guilt in this context is actually a signal. It's an indicator that you are taking good care of yourself. And ah, okay. if you feel guilt, if the guilt, and you know, we all feel it in our body somewhere. Like I know I feel it in my upper arms. That's where I feel all my stuff for some reason. When I feel that rush of guilt, I remind myself, oh, this just means I'm doing something really different, which is taking care of myself in this instance instead of everyone else. See, that's so interesting. So how do we move? Do we just have to recognize the guilt? We see it and then we kind of reframe it as this is actually something that we're doing to nourish ourselves. That's right. To take care of ourselves. Yeah. And to really start reinforcing, you know, I am deserving. I am worthy. I can give this to myself. Staying in the martyr role or stay, you know, this whole badge of honor of, you know, I'm working 20 hours a day and I've got four kids and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm running here and I'm running there. Who's giving you a medal for that? 
you know, nobody. And here's what also I've really learned. Again, people pleaser, peacekeeper, conflict avoider, you know, all, all overachiever, all of it. We tend not to make time to take good care of ourselves because no one's giving us a medal. So let me look at it this way. No one's giving me a pat on the back for taking a bubble bath. So why bother, right? Like you were saying, there was, you know, judgment, criticism, envy in you going off on your own. So we tend not to do things if we are fearing that we're not going to, that we're not going to get the accolade. We don't see value in taking care of ourselves if we're not going to get the accolade. So we have to learn how to give ourselves our own accolades. That's so true. Like I was just thinking then, you know, if you, I mean, I'll say I'm Jewish and just this Jewish community of um, when you throw a, a party, you throw a dinner party, you make a big family dinner, you get the accolades. Oh, aren't you good? Look at you, you're working and now you've made dinner for 20 people. And like, you're there like in the kitchen, like dying. And like typically, and that's what I would be doing. And that's the accolade for, for doing everything and being so busy and look yep. at you and, and like, bless her, my grandma, when she was alive, she used to say to me, you're a knockout, you're a knockout. It's like, I'm a knockout because I'm trying to do everything for everyone. And I think if she look at it now, she, she wouldn't think that like that, but maybe in her era, doing everything and being everything to everyone and being able to put lots of food on the table and be a hostess and all of that was a ba that badge of honor. And you would get an accolade for it. Absolutely. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, the culture comes in. I am also Jewish and it's hilarious because my, you know, food is obviously a big part of our culture and our heritage as it is with many. And, you know, my mother, my father, and my sister are all fabulous cooks. And I can't, I, I don't even know where my kitchen is. <laughs> and there is the whole thing of, oh, I'm fall, you know, of, oh, I fell short. You know, I didn't achieve in the way that would be recognized by certain people because I focused my areas of achievement in other areas. Yeah. And I, and I think, wouldn't it be lovely if we would get those accolades for taking time out and doing all the things that we should be doing to nourish ourselves, manage our mental health, our emotional well-being, all these things that are so important for, you know, being a good parent, a good sister, you know, mother, wife, whatever you want to be. So, yeah, I think it's interesting if we could get an accolade for that. Okay. And that's why I was saying before that we have to really learn how to do that for ourselves so that we're not in this constant chasing of something outside of us. Yeah. Now I wanted to ask you about something that really stuck with me. It was the notion of incompletions. And you talked about this in a, a podcast of yours that I was listening to, and it really struck a chord because I have a series of incompletions. I have I mean, the amount of courses I've done and I've finished, I'm proud to say, the amount of courses that I haven't finished, books that I haven't finished, ideas, workshops, so many incompletions that take up so much mental space and create clutter and exhaust me. 
And I know that this is probably something a lot of the listeners will probably be resonating with because we do chastise ourselves for taking on a lot, not completing it and then feeling less than because we've decided that a hobby or a course or something that we've, you know, we've decided doesn't kind of fill us with joy anymore. Just, you know, we don't want to do it. Can we talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So when I talk about incompletions, they are, they drag us down, they weigh us down and an incompletion can be anything. It's really just unfinished business. So incompletion can be projects that are unfinished, courses that are unfinished, clutter, physical clutter, mental clutter, relationships that are out, that you've outgrown, uh, you know, there's many different ways that incompletions can show up, conversations that need to be had. And the way that those of us who are overachievers and perfectionists relate to our incompletions is I need to get them done come hell or high water. So the first step is to actually look at what is still alive here for me. I may have bought a course four years ago that at the time was like, oh my God, I'm so jazzed about this. And now I'm in a place where I'm, I, I no longer even care about that. But there's a part of me that would be, well, I bought it. I have to do it. I have to finish it. I have to do it well, even though it's not alive for me anymore. So that's the first part is what is alive for me? You know, is this, is this incompletion still something that lights me up? Do I still want to do it or not? And even just the letting go of what's no longer alive will begin to revive us. Just being able to let go of what is no longer really alive. And then looking at what is outstanding that needs attention and creating a plan of approach that is doable, realistic, bite-sized, so that we can create a win for ourselves. So I tend to draw toward me all the overachievers. I've coached thousands. It's their version of it is something like, I'm going to run a marathon every day this week you know, and I, and I want to help them refine to how about this week you run for 30 minutes, three days to really make it manageable. The same with clearing clutter. Don't think I'm going to clear out my whole house in a day. I'm going to tackle this one drawer today and to really start looking at what is manageable? Because what often happens is when we have something we want to do, whether it's a goal or a, you know, something that we are wanting, we tend to look at the whole overarching process of it. And that's what overwhelms us. And then we say, screw it. So to get out of the screw it mindset <laughs> It's okay. My whole my goal might be to cleanse my house of clutter, my whole house. And here's the actual plan I'm going to put into place that's going to make this realistic and doable for myself. So it's just one step. It's one small doable action instead of relating to the whole thing all at once. Because then that we kind of like skew that with 
berating ourselves, feeling bad about that we can't clear a whole house in a day. Right. Like, even, you know, like it's not realistic, but in our head, we should be able to do it, shouldn't we? Yeah. And we and we beat ourselves up. And really, an incompletion ultimately is anything that we are still beating ourselves up about, that we're still using as a means to punish ourselves. Yeah. And you know what? When you said that, it's we're making space. And so when we make space, that's when we can invite positive things in and things exactly. that fill us back, you know, fill us up with joy. Exactly. And- and that takes me all the way back to what I was saying about boundaries, like that they are expansive. It's the way that we're consciously choosing and carefully curating the content of our lives, which begins with the content of our house or the content of our, you know, our work, the way that we show up, you know, even looking at, you know, an incompletion can even be the fact that, you know, as entrepreneurs, so many think, oh, I have to be available 24 seven. And I can actually set the boundary around my time and rein it in. We can do that in so many different areas of our lives. Yeah. I think um, the full circle, I like to be able to see, you know, and and what I'm going to take away 100%. And I try and remind myself of this and also my clients is that we are the curators of our own life, of our own lives, the choices that we make, you know, build our life. And that is what we always will have, we will always have choice. And that is something that no matter what happens and, and what we, we choose to do, or well, so choose, but it's it's those things that we can take that pause, we can make that decision, and we can know which way we want to go. It's so empowering to know, because I think we just, so many of us just go on autopilot, and we do what's expected and what we should be doing. And all of that. And when we take that step back and we go, okay, right, we have a choice and boundaries is the, one of the biggest choices that you can make. Yeah. So I have what I call my transformation equation and it's change equals vision plus choice plus action. So if we want to make a change, just say that, repeat that again. Absolutely. Change equals vision plus choice plus action. Okay. So if we want to make a change, we need to have clarity of vision of where we want to go, where we want to be. And then we need to be willing to use that vision as a gauge by which we make our choices and take our actions. So our choices do only one of two things. Our choices serve our vision or sabotage our vision. And then when we take the action that is rooted in our choice, that is what is going to propel us forward. So in terms of choices, I often say that, you know, we are the culmination of all the choices we've made up till now. So if we don't do anything different, our future arrives looking very much like our past or our present. If we want change, we have to realize that our present moment choices predict our future. Our present moment choices are the crystal ball that we're looking for. And what that does is move us out of blame and victim into responsibility and empowerment. Oh, I love that. I want to end on that because that is just so powerful. And I feel like that is, it's just 
if it feels, it sounds simple. It's not so simple when you do it in practice, but I think that clarity of that formula and just what you said then, I will definitely, I'm going to take that away with me because every choice that we make, it, you're right, it predicts our, our future and we want change. This is what we've got to do. It's the present, the present predicts our future. Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Love it. Yeah. That, Nancy, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you and I feel like we could keep going. I but... know. I adore you. You're wonderful. <laughs> Can you tell people where to find you, your podcast, books? Absolutely. You know, lay it all out. <laughs> yes. Everything is on my website, nancylevin.com. So I've got a podcast. It's called Your Permission Prescription. A new episode drops every week. You can get info there. I've also, I'll just mention, because we talked about the transformation equation, I've got a freebie. Uh, and you can go to nancylevin.com slash free. And it is a transformation equation guide that will support you in really looking at change equals vision plus choice plus action. Perfect. I'll put that all in the show notes so people can just click straight through. Um, Nancy, thank you so much. I've learned loads. I, I mean, I've been listening to your podcast. I've been reading all your stuff, but I've learned so much in this, just in this conversation. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And I know the listeners will as well. Thank you. So that's today's episode done. Did what we talk about resonate with you? I really hope you found some takeaways that may inspire you to make some small changes that enhance your daily life. And if you did find this episode insightful, please do consider sharing it. Knowledge and awareness is power, especially with ADHD. You can also head over to the show's Instagram page, which is ADHD Women's Wellbeing Pod, and join the community that's waiting for you there. And if this episode really did strike a chord, please do consider leaving us a review to enable more people who need to hear these conversations find the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and see you next time.